you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1, before you cross. What is the biggest victory you could ever hope to achieve? What is the biggest victory you could ever hope to achieve? What is the uh, insurmountable problem, the insurmountable obstacle uh, that you could ever hope to overcome? And do you have dreams that are too big for you to accomplish alone? And, and, and those are the questions to get your mind where we are this morning. And maybe you've never thought of those types of questions. What's the biggest thing you could ever hope to do? What's the largest obstacle you could ever hope to overcome? And maybe some of you have overcome things like cancer. Maybe you have overcome things like depression. Maybe you've overcome things like drugs and alcohol addiction. And praise the Lord that if you would do that with Christ's help. And there are some things in God's realm, I believe, in the kingdom of God that he has put that, that are there, that are obstacles that God wants a body of believers, his church, to take on and say, God, with your help, we're going to take on this obstacle. We're going to take on this mountain. And those are questions, honestly, I'd never thought about before, even as I grew up in church as a young person. And it wasn't until the spirit of God uh, put that fire, that spark in me for that drive that said, God, there's more than just the cars I can get, the house I can build, the family I can raise, which is phenomenal. I love my family uh, and, uh, and all the things that I could have for my life and my plan. But there is a plan of God that is looking for some people that would rise up and say, Lord, use me to do some awesome things for your kingdom. How many say amen? amen. Because, you know, the American dream, while it's wonderful, it's boring compared to the Christian life. I don't know if you know that or not, but it is. Everything this world has to offer is boring compared to what God wants his church to be doing. Read the book of Acts now and again. Man, they did some awesome things in there, and I believe God still has that same plan for you and I today. Amen. Amen. So in all of that to be said, how do you prepare for something you don't know you need? How do you prepare? So if I'm unaware to what God wants to do, how do I prepare for it? If I don't know I need that mountain to be moved, I don't know that I need that obstacle to be overcome, how do I prepare for it? Uh, We're looking in Joshua chapter 3, and what I'm reminded of this morning as we get into this text is how various generations have seen the wonders of God, but so so few today in our generation uh, know about them. I can think back to uh, my studies uh, looking over the, the great Methodist revivals uh, with John and Charles Wesley and guys like uh, uh, George Whitfield. Those guys that when they, uh, re- after the Reformation, man, these guys uh, began to take on uh, all of Europe and man, the, the gospel began to spread and, and Bibles began to be read in a new and mighty way, repentance in a, in a large scale across Europe. I think about the uh, American Awakenings in the 1700s and the 1800s. You guys got, we've got like uh, guys like Jonathan Edwards uh, and his uh, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God, that letter, if you've never read it before. We've got things, uh, guys like Charles Finney, who when he began to preach as, uh, he wasn't even a, what we would categorize as a Pentecostal person, but uh, man, as he began to speak 
People would come from miles and whole towns would be converted. They would shut down bars and people would just be uh, weeping in the presence of God with some of what we would encounter today is with no flash and no flare and no praise team and all the stuff that makes church very popular today. These men just had the mighty presence of God and it changed the entire country. You won't learn about the first and second great awakenings of America in school today. But Christian, I encourage you, get online, get some books, read about these things that changed the country of America uh, when the, the Spirit of God began to move across our country. I think about the awakenings that were across Scotland in the 1900s with Duncan Campbell. Uh, these are uh, stories where they would uh, empty out high school dances because the presence of God would just come upon that building and people, the young people would just fill a drawing to their church house. We talked about it before here at Sanctuary. They had have church services where they would uh, end it and they'd go out and there'd be 600 people just standing in the parking lot trying to get in because the presence of God was drawing people. I think about the Azusa Street Revival of 1906 and it launched the Pentecostal Revivals. I think about men like Smith Wigglesworth who raised multiple people from the dead, healed them, an untold number of people, and thousands and thousands and thousands were saved. You see, the, the Holy Spirit has not just finished since Christ ascended and the apostles died. God has been doing mighty wonders in generations who would seek His face, humble themselves, and turn from their sin and seek His face. And each of these generations, just doing a study of this, each of these generations, uh, they lived in a time where people were complacent. They lived in a time when religious was, uh, religiosity was at its highest. The society was dead to the wonders of God. Nobody was seeking Him. The church houses were nearing closure. Uh, young people were not coming into the faith. And what these, these generations saw, there was this remnant of desperate people. There was a remnant of desperate saints who would sincerely repent. They would strive for holy living in unholy times. They would get on their knees in prayer. They returned to the Word of God. They returned to the Spirit of God, and they radically committed themselves to God's purposes. And when God saw the small group of humble people, in every case, in all of those I've mentioned, it was a small group of people who said, God, we're tired of the status quo. We look in the Word and we say, God, you have greater purposes for your people than this. And Lord, we're calling out for your mercy and your power. Lord, we're going to do what we can do, but God, we need you to do what you can do. Amen. And so to have a move of God, what does it take? What does it take to see the wonders of God again in a new generation today? What does it take to see real victory in our personals. I'm not talking about coming down and getting saved and still dealing with that, that alcoholism for 30 more years. I'm talking about coming, getting radically saved, touched by the presence of God, and never desiring a drop again. That's the kind of talking about of what God can do, moving mountains in our life or getting rid of pornography and all the desires of this world. We begin to, uh, God to be burning out of his people to see real victory. And how do we walk with God to places we've never been. Say, so Pastor, I don't understand that. I've never been there. I've never seen a church service like that. I've never been a part of any kind of movement like that or, or ministry like that. Well, how do we go to places we've never been? How do we see the wonders of God? How do we follow God to uncharted territory? Because uh, I can understand it conceptually, Pastor, when I hear you talk about it. But that's not today. That's not what's happening in our environment right now. That's not what it looks like around us. Well, okay. 
Well, we can either accept that and live there, or we can say, God, I'm ready for a move of God in my family, in my life, and in my community. And if you're ready, say amen. amen. Okay, so to have a move of God, what does it take? To have a move of God is this. We must be set apart to God. That's what I want to talk about today. To have a move of God, we must be set apart to God. Let's look in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read until verse 6. The New American Standard says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim, and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Turn to your neighbor and say, go after it. Go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure, which is about a mile. And don't come near it that you may know the way which you shall go, that you have, never, you have not passed this way before. Note that. They had to put it at a distance, so you got a, you know, a million people here trying to define the direction to go. They would put the Ark of the Covenant a mile out so we would know the direction to go. And then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. That's the verse for today. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Let me give you the background of this. Moses had died and the Lord comes upon Joshua and says, man, I've chosen you. Be strong, courageous. Don't be afraid. And uh, man, the people rally behind Joshua. Now they've gotten through the 40 years of the wilderness journeys and all that first generation who saw the mighty move of God in Egypt, the wonders of God and the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and the manna. Uh, now, this generation knew the manna, but they never saw a life without it. They've only, in a sense, you could say they kind of taken for granted the miracles of God because that's always how it's been. Our, our, we never had to go to J.C. Penney because our clothes never wore out. We've always had bread every day. That's just the way it's always been. There are some things in the Christian life we have today we take for granted because previous generations have provided things for us, like this Bible, which many generations of Christians never had. Well, how many of us often take this for granted? This is a miracle that you have this in your hand today, by the way. Many people bled and died for you to have a Bible in your hand. Many people around the world today were, uh, I, rem- I know of one story where, even Brother Tim Todd, who's coming this next Sunday, would bring one Bible to uh, an older woman. She was 85 years old, and she just wept as he gave her a Bible because she never owned one in her entire life. All right? So uh, there are many things we're standing on the shoulders of. Now, this generation, they'd not seen the wonders. They'd, they, they'd not seen what God had done. But now the 40 years had old, has gone. The old generation had passed away, and now they stood on the precipice of a new day, a new season. The old leadership had gone. The old generations had gone. And we haven't seen the mighty moves of God like they had back in the days of old. But today, we've seen God do some things. But here we are, standing at an impassable river. And just over there is great spoils. At the same time, there's great conquest. There's great battles ahead. There's great problems ahead. But there's also great potential ahead. But before us, we have this river, the Jordan River, and they're about to enter into the promised land of Israel. They're about to see God do some new and some mighty things. But Joshua says one thing, before you can cross this impassable river, 
before you can see God come against impossible, impregnable, uh, impregnable cities, before you can see victory, consecrate yourself. What does that mean, consecration? Somebody would say, well, isn't that where they take a dead person, they burn them up, and they put them in a vase? No, that's cremation. That's cremation. Consecration. What is consecration? It's a word we don't really use much today. And Joshua says you have to be consecrated before you can cross. Consecration, the root of it is to be sacred or dedicated. It comes from the same Greek word we can translate it to be holy or sanctified or set apart. All of it kind of means the same thing. But consecration is more about the process of being made holy. In fact, while we can talk about holiness, which means set apart for God, consecration is the process of God making you holy And it's not just the process, it results in a purpose. So you can think of it this way. It's the process of being made holy for the purpose of God's glory. All right? It's the process of being made holy for the purpose of of God's glory. So it means being cleansed. It means being purified. It means being set apart. It means dedicating yourself. It means preparing yourself for God to use you. Uh, and so it, sometimes we even translate it ordained. When uh, Pastor Evelyn and I uh, completed our credentialing process and the, the ministers uh, came around us and laid hands on us, they, they call it the ordination ceremony, that we're ordained ministers. It means that God has set apart a calling on our life. We set our lives apart for his purposes and to do something he's called us to do. But here, Joshua is saying, hey, the whole people has got to be ordained. You've got to be consecrated. You've got to be set apart uh, for the purpose of God. So tonight, let's do this process that's going to result in God's purpose in your life. And so what is that purpose? God had already told them, hey, guys, I want you to be in Exodus He says, I want you to be a kingdom of priests to me, a holy nation. I've got something I want you to do, that through you, the fulfillment of all that I've said to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is going to come to pass through you. I want to take you, a humble, broken people under slavery in Egypt, and I want to do wonders among you. I want to take you to places you've never been before, and all the promises I have are going to be fulfilled through, through, uh, through you, and through you, the whole world is going to see my son Jesus, and through you, the whole world is going to experience the presence of God and know my goodness and know my glory. And so, That's what God was wanting to do in them. And a lot of things in Israel was consecrated. For instance, they said the firstborn of every uh, every livestock was consecrated. When Moses uh, came to that burning bush that time and and God said, take off your shoes for the ground is holy, that means the ground was consecrated. Uh, You think about the priests. The priests were consecrated. The tabernacle was consecrated. Everything in the tabernacle was consecrated. And even the priests' holy clothes were consecrated. That means they were set apart for a purpose of God. They had a process they had to go through. Those clothes had to be made a certain way, washed a certain way, kept a certain way. They couldn't be worn outside of the tabernacle. All of that meant that it was consecrated. And it wasn't even a one-time thing. Every year, Israel would continually consecrate themselves to God. You know, your salvation is really not a one-time thing. It's not something we get done and we're, we're, we're okay, we're perfect now, we move on. 
But consecration is this daily thing. Every year, they would sanctify themselves. Every year at Passover, they would consecrate the whole Ark of the Covenant and, and the mercy seat with blood and the priests themselves and the people themselves. It was, a, it was a continual thing. And Joshua says, hey, this is one of those moments. This is one of those moments in your life where God wants to do some awesome things through you, and you've got to renew that relationship with God and set yourself apart for God to do his purpose in your life. Why? What are you talking about, Pastor Heath? Why, what are we talking about even today in our, in our modern context? We can, go get, we can get saved, we can be good, and we can sit down, and we can serve in our church and all this kind of stuff. But why should we want to continually renew our life with God? Why do we continually want to say, God, I want you to do something in my life. I want you to go through this process, and which really wasn't a good process. Man, we had to be ritually pure. We had to turn off some things in our life. We had to get rid of some things in our home. We had to do some things that would ultimately be painful. And when I begin to talk about sacrifice as a pastor, and I begin to talk about uh, you know, service and giving, and you know what people's eyes do in the church? They go, oh, here's one of those sermons. Yeah. Can we just talk about being blessed? Can we just talk about having good things? Can we just talk about how God loves us? Nobody wants to talk about sacrifice. Nobody wants to talk about discipline or discipleship or judgment, all these things which are huge biblical themes. Well, why would we want to do that? Why would we want to talk about that? I wonder why. It's exactly right, the wonder. He says, if you want to see the wonders of God, God is about to do some great and mighty things in Gina, Louisiana. God wants to do some great and mighty things in your life, in your life, in your life, in your life. But he says, guess what? There may be some consecration we need to do. And I don't know about you. Where do you put the value on the wonder of God? Is it worth my TV? Is it worth my Facebook? Is it worth my hobbies? If it, is it worth my leisure time? Is it worth all of that? I say, God, I am going to do whatever it takes to go across impassable rivers, to come up against impossible fortresses and say, God, I want to see you do something in my life. Amen? If they wanted the blessing of God, if they wanted his favor, if they wanted his supernatural power, Joshua says, you've got to be consecrated. Their sin in their hearts would mean disaster not only for God's plan, but for their own lives. And I think in, in America today, until we see that we can only bless ourselves so much, uh, until we see that our power is limited to give us good things, until we recognize our desperate need for God, we'll never desire consecration because we've got too many things we think we can do on our own. We've got too many good programs and too many good things. I can, I can, I, that's not really a problem in my life. I can deal with it. That's not really something I'm interested in tackling. That's for somebody else. Let somebody else reach the alcoholics. That's why we have AA and programs in the hospital. That's why we do this, and that's why we have that. But for me, I'm, I'm really fine right now as it is. Or maybe I'll just work through this issue, or I'll talk to somebody about it, or I'll, I'll get by. This will come along, and that will move out of my life. Or, you know, we're just kind of focused in on uh, what's on TV this week and, you know, who's doing what in our life and what, when we can improve our home and get that loan for that next thing or buy that new car. We get so focused on all the things of this earth. But until we say, God, I can't bless myself anymore. God, my power is limited and I'm desperate because we don't pursue what we don't desire. 
You'll never pursue what you don't desire. And if you don't desire the wonders of God, you'll never see them. Because they won't be valued to you. They won't have the value of consecration to you. So here's this question. What does God have that you desperately need today? What does God have that you so desperately need today that you can't get on your own? What is it? What is something that he has that you say, well, I can't save myself from hell. Okay, that's number one. Great. But what else? What are some things that he has that he, you desperately need? And maybe you can't sleep at night and say, God, I really need some peace today. There's some reason in my life I don't have any peace and I can't sleep. Okay, great. Let's go for peace. Maybe there's some things I can't get victory in this area of my life. I, I really can't fix this solution in my finances and I'm desperate for a solution. What are some things you say, God, I can't do it. I need your wonder in my life again. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, they've called it the Beatitudes. And he says, man, I've got some great things for people today. I've got some great things. And he says, I'm going to offer you these blessings. And here they are. I'm going to give you the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to give you supernatural comfort. I'm going to give you an eternal inheritance. I'm going to fill you with godly righteousness. I'm going to give you the mercy of God, the presence of God. I'm going to give you the identity of God's children. And I'm even going to give you a great untold reward. How many people think that sounds good? Is that worth pursuing? I mean, there's a lot of good things. You can go retire at Mar-a-Lago, you know, with Donald Trump or something if you want to, right? I mean, there we could go to Maui. We can go to Hawaii. There's all kinds of great things we could try to get. We could get a million dollars. You could win that scratch-off lottery thing and get $450 million, and then everybody's going to call you for the rest of your life, and you'll never have any peace again, Right? Uh, You're probably going to go in debt and lose it all, and everyone's going to hate you. But there's a lot of things this world could offer and say, hey, this is pretty good. We can kind of get through. We can have our cars, and we can uh, retire, and we can do all these things. But Jesus says, man, the blessing I'm going to offer you, kingdom of heaven, supernatural comfort, eternal inheritance, righteousness, mercy, the presence of God, an identity as God's kid, and an untold reward in heaven. But what does he say at the beginning of every one of those Beatitudes? He gives you the consecration for it. He says, blessed are they who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Then they'll be filled. Blessed are you if you are poor in spirit, and then yours will be the kingdom of God. So the consecration is first. That is, that if you're poor in spirit, if you mourn over your sin, if you humble yourself before God, if you hunger and thirst for something more than what you can do, if you would purify yourself, even go through persecution in this life as an outsider, be one of those crazy Jesus freaks and do some spiritual warfare, then you'll see the wonder of God in your life. You have to consecrate before you cross. So many televangelists and social media preachers today are all about the blessing of God. But Joshua says, hey, you've got to be consecrated. Are we willing to do what it takes to follow the presence of God into uncharted territory? To come across impassable rivers, to go up against invincible strongholds. Three things real quick, and I'm going to give you to take home today about this consecration. There's one is cleansed, committed, and commissioned. Cleansed, committed, and commissioned. Those are the things that mean consecration. And cleansed, Joshua says, hey, purify yourselves. They would go, they would wash themselves. They'd set themselves apart. They're preparing to possess the land. And he, uh, if you think about it this way, even in the first time in the Red Sea, they would, uh, with Moses in the Passover, 
that night, they would prepare themselves. They went into their homes. They put the lamb, uh, the, blood's, uh, the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. They ate certain foods. They put out all the other foods of their house. They cleansed their house out, and they were ready for a moment of deliverance. And they waited there with expectation, waiting for God to move and the time to happen. In the same way, Joshua says, hey, before we're about to cross, let's take a moment of meditation. Let's take a moment of prayer and isolation. Let's get quiet in our camps. Let's turn off the music. Let's turn off the TV. Let's turn off the television and, and the Facebook. And let's say, God, we're getting ready. We're getting our minds prepared for victory. Sometimes we're so busy. Sometimes we're so distracted. We're missing the victory of God. Because we're not cleansing ourselves and cleansing our hearts and saying, God, we're focusing and we're zeroing. James chapter 4 verse 7 says it this way in the New Century Version. It says, so give yourselves completely to God. Everybody say completely. (laughs) Completely. Stand against the devil. The devil will run from you. I love that. Come near to God and God will come near to you, you sinners. Cleanse out your lives. You are trying to follow God in the world at the same time. Make your thinking pure. Do we ever do that? Try to follow God in the world at the same time. He says, be sad, cry and weep. Change your laughter into crying, your joy into sadness. Don't be too proud in the Lord's presence, and he will make you great. He's going to do wonders in your life. And all these great revivals I mentioned, there was great weeping. Every one of them. People weeping before the Lord. There's a cleansing that has to happen in our lives that often we pass by in the American church today. We want the jumping, the shouting, the joy. Now, all those things are great, and it comes. But often, it comes through weeping first. God cleansing my life out. Today, Jesus' blood, he cleanses us of sin. He defeats our enemies. But now the New Testament tells us, because you're already cleansed in Christ, keep on being cleansed. That means put aside your former life, Paul says. Be renewed by your spirit in his spirit daily. That's put, a thing, put aside those things like anger and wrath and malice and slander and lying and all the gossip of this world. And you put all the things of this world aside and say, God, cleanse my heart. He says, if you'll do that, he's going to make you great. Cleanse. And then the second one is committed. We find here they're standing at this river. Like the first generation, they're about to leave their old lives behind. They're about to enter into some new uncharted territory. They're about to follow the presence of God by faith. And they're like, I don't know how we're going to get across this river. These guys are starting to march. I don't know. There's Jericho's on the other side. I don't know how we're going to get across. I don't know how we're going to fight them. But it would involve some definite commitment. You know, the Christian life is really about like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute because you really don't know what's ahead. You don't know how you're going to do the things you're going to do. But when you look at Scripture, these guys just leapt for it. Like Peter jumping out of the boat, he just leapt for it when he saw Jesus is over there. I'm over here. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but let's just, let's just try something. Let's go. That's Christianity. That's Christianity, but so many times we want that soft, that comfortable, that, that uh, drive-through church service where I can come in and get a quick word, gets me through my day, eat my little french fries and go on. It's kind of this uh, make me happy, pacify me to the next problem in my life. But radical Christianity involves some radical commitment. It's saying, God, I don't know if I'm going to live or die, but I'm going to jump. And so <clears throat> we find this time and they're about there right before the river. I don't know how we're going to get victory. I don't know how we're going to cross this. There's a water there, by the way, Joshua. I don't know if you know this, but there's this big thing, and we can't get all of our family and houses through this. We don't have a boat. We can't ford the river. 
And there's this one tribe, two and a half tribes are there, Gad, Reuben, and a half tribe of Manasseh. And they, in their minds, you know, this is really good on this side of the river. We like this side of the river. There's no need of going over there and going through all that mess. We've been doing this for 40 years. Can we just relax after a while? Come on, Pastor, life's hard. It's energetic. It takes a lot just to get through the day. Trust me, I've got two kids under four years old. It's a lot just to come home, have supper, put people to bed. Amen, parents, right? Woo! Mercy, we wear pajamas every day. I don't know why it's a struggle, but every day we put on pajamas. We should have got that yesterday. Do it again today. We're going to do it all over again. But every day, you know, life just is a struggle sometimes. It's painful. And these two tribes, two and a half tribes say, well, can we just settle here? Can we just stay on this side of the river and not go through all that mess over there? And they talked about this with even Moses. And Moses said, sure, but here's the deal. You can settle on this side of the river on one condition. You got to go to that side of the river and fight until we're all done. And when we're all done and everybody's got the victory and we can all settle down and rest together, then you can come back over here. I love that. That's a great agreement, right? Then we can come back over here and you can settle and enjoy this side of the land. But you can't enjoy the spoils until everybody's got the victory. Whoo, man, that preaches right there. You know, uh, we are not saved to settle. You're not saved to settle because why? There are people in the world right now who ain't got the victory you've got. There are people out the world dying and ready to go to hell. And we could say, when I am saved, can I just settle and coast into the retirement plan with Jesus? He's got the best 401k there is. And I really like these cushy seats right here in our church, right? I really like just settling in. And I'll even serve. I'll even give. I'll even support. I'll give you a few amens on Sunday, Pastor. But, but can I just settle into this Christian life? No. No, you can't. Because it involves radical commitment. And the Bible says we're all one people together. Jesus says, unless you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. And, that, and we're all the body of Christ. We're one church together. We're one church with, with Life Point Assembly of God down the road. We're one church, uh, one church with Midway Baptist Church down the road. LNA, First Baptist. All these churches. Are, we're one church together. We're not w- multiple churches. We're one church. We're the body of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus says move, we move. And we do it together. And so uh, we look at this and he says, you've got to go fight. Everyone's going to cross. Everyone's going to fight until everyone's free. We see the early church takes this to heart in Acts. Man, they, these guys devote themselves daily to the word of God, to fellowship, communion, prayer. They devote themselves, Romans says, to brotherly love and fervent spirit. They're serving the Lord. Hebrews says that we were, they're not supposed to forsake the gathering of themselves together. That, uh, man, but, ah, uh, so many Christians today are stuck between two worlds. Here's the old, and here's the new. Can I just be saved and settle? We've got to leave our independence, church. We've got to leave our entertainment. We've got to leave our luxury. We've got to leave the comfortable, convenient, and quick church. And we've got to march together until our journey's complete. How many people know we've got battles to fight and a mission to win? Let me say amen. Cleansed, committed, and commissioned. The last one is this. Joshua chapter 3, verse 14. Look at there. Here's the wonder begins. Joshua chapter 3, verse 14. 
So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people. So here they go. They see the, the, the Ark is moving. And they say, okay, all right, let's start walking. Here's the faith. They, they got cleansed. They, they've been committed. We're, we're committed to the journey. We're moving forward, God. The presence of God is moving. And they, those who carried the Ark came to the Jordan. And the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped to the edge of the water because the Jordan overflowed all of its banks in the days of harvest. And the waters, which were flowing down from above, stood up, and they rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those which were following down towards the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people opposite, crossed opposite of Jericho, and all the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all of Israel crossed on dry ground until all of the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Man, that is good. Can you imagine seeing that? Wouldn't that just be phenomenal? It would be awesome. You know, and what the lesson here is that if God did it once, he can do it again. Man, that's a preaching point for us today, church. God did it for Israel twice. He did it for the early church. He did it for previous generations. And every time a group of people would humble themselves and pray and say, God, we're tired of the status quo. Lord, we repent of our sin. God, we're hungry again for your word. We're going to live a holy life in unholy times. And we're desperately seeking your presence today. If he did it once, he can do it again. But if you're not searching for it, if you're not preparing for it, you'll never cross. Church, if we're not seeking after the wonder of God, if we're not preparing ourselves as if it's already going to happen, we'll never experience it. Because we've got so many things, like this thing right here in my hand, this little cell phone, so many things, I'm not against these things, they're great tools for certain purposes, but the best purpose in the world is God's. The best thing, God, being in a, uh, the times I've been in the presence of God and seen God and moving some mighty altar calls or on the missions field, man, that blows out any activity I've ever done. My first time ever leading someone to the Lord was such a high Man, I was jumping and shouting in my room as a teenager when I led one of my friends to the Lord one night on MSN Messenger, which we don't have today, but it's kind of like Facebook Messenger, right? And, and just, the, just the joy, I just felt warm. I couldn't stop smiling, and I was just like, yeah, take that, devil. You know, like, you just, you don't get that. When the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes over you, there's a peace and a joy and a sense of belonging and a fire that comes inside of you that you can't get off of any drug. You can't get on any roller coaster. You can't get through any relationship with any significant other. It is something about the presence and the wonder of God. And until you desire it, They were commissioned, and God had this mission for a new generation to take the land. And he had said to Moses, my presence will go with you. And to Joshua, I'll go with you, and they're gonna, he's going to give you rest. And when this previous generation marched through the wilderness, the ark had gone before him so many times, and this ark symbolized the presence of God. And now we find Joshua. Joshua is leading the charge, and the presence is going before them, and it's providing the way. And just like Joshua, 
We today have a man named Jesus Christ. Joshua means Savior. It's the same name as Jesus. Joshua led the way, and the presence of God opened the path and opened the position for them to cross. And you and I today have a, have a, a, a God-man named Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, God with us, God incarnate. And he said, hey, I'm calling you. I'm commissioning you just like I had di- have done to Israel. Now I'm doing it to you, the Gentiles, the modern-day church. I'm telling you to go, therefore, because I've got all authority, and I want you to go into the world. I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them. I want you to teach them all things, and I'm going to be with you always. But say, guess what? Just hold on just a minute. Wait until you receive power from on high. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. He's going to baptize you, and He's going to give you the power to witness. And you're not just going to do it here or just there. You're going to go to the ends of the earth because I'm going ahead of you. Today, you and I are called to follow two things. We are called to follow our Joshua, Jesus Christ. We're called to follow our Ark of the Covenant, the Holy Spirit of God. And your Christian life is just that simple. It's not about coming to church. It's not about being a good person. It's, and all those are great. It's not about uh, doing a, a five-step plan or a Daniel fast or a prayer meeting. And all those things are great, and those are part of it. But the simple, uh, simplicity of the Christian life is this. It is a cleansing by Christ. It is a radical commitment to go where no other people on the face of the earth are going before because God has commissioned you, and he said, I'm going before you. My presence is going to lead you. Jesus has opened up the way, and there is nothing that that can stop you if you'll follow me. Oh, that would should have been a bigger amen than that. Man, I don't know about you, but I want to take over the world with Jesus. He's going to win. He's going to win. Whether the world knows it or believes it or not. But it's time for the world to see the wonder of God in a people again. It comes because we're obedient to the word. It comes because we have faith in the spirit of God. And you and I today have been given all that we need to see the wonders of God. Do you believe that? So how come we're not stepping out in faith? Maybe we're waiting on more information. Joshua's moving. The ark is moving. You think, well, wait a minute. Hold on. What did I sign up for here? What is this? How how radical is this going to be again? Because I really like this kind of Christianity right here. I really like staying on this side of the river. I'm not really sure about that door-to-door stuff. I'm not really sure about those mission trip kind of things. I'm really not sure about talking to other people out loud about Jesus at work or at school. I'm really not sure that I'm ready to take on casting a demon out of somebody. That's not the kind of Christianity I'm really signing up for. I just want the get-out-of-hell Christianity. Is there, is there a line for that anywhere? Is there a line for the get-out-of-hell Christianity? No, there's not. It's all one and the same because we're all together fighting. Now, are you going to cast out a demon tomorrow? Probably not. But every single Christian today has the power and the presence of God within them to cast out and tread on any scorpion, any demonic forces that no means, by no means can nothing harm you. Jesus says, Because you have him. All authority is given to him through you. I never grew up thinking Heath Harris had the power to tread on snakes and scorpions, which spiritually means demonic forces, principalities and powers. That's the kind of fighting we fight, right? I'm not going under my house and purposely getting bit by things. You know, that's just not how that works, right? 
But do you believe in that kind of Christianity? Let's just be honest here. I'm wrapping up. Does that, do we believe in that? Do we seek it? Because I, growing up in the church for so many years, the only Christianity I thought was available was the dead one, the religious one, the powerless one, right? Oh, yeah, those, those certain evangelists had that. Those certain pastors had that. Those certain old saints of God who'd been through the wonders in the 40 years with God and the desperate times before. But my life hadn't been so desperate. I didn't know what battles were still out there. And young people, you've only grown up in a society that says these things are okay. You've only known a society that says these things are normal. But the generations before us would look at it and say, oh, my, 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 that generation needs the wonders of God again. We've got to seek it. We've got to desire it. We've got to pursue it. Church and saints of God, if you've been that generation, you've seen God move in mighty ways, it's up to you to tell this next generation, man, if you only knew the wonders of God, if you could only pursue the wonders of God, let's can I lead the charge with you? Can, I, can we pray together? Can we go together? Can I, can I show you how to talk to someone about Jesus? Can I show you how to pray? Let me teach you how to get through those, those moments. Let me teach you how to listen to the presence of God. Let me teach you how to study your word. We've got to prepare ourselves if we want to possess the land. God's on the move. It's up to us if we're going to follow him. And when he's on that front line, that's where you begin to see the miracles, on the front line. Do we desire the wonders of God, and are we consecrated? Are we preparing to cross our river? Would you bow your head with me today?